afternoon. Sorry, it's 12.03. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and get it out, open it up to Matthew chapter 6. While you do that, I want to tell you a quick story. While I was researching and, and studying over the 15 or so verses that we're going to look at this morning, I came across a story, an illustration uh, that I thought was incredibly pertinent. And it's that there's a farmer, and he and his wife uh, have two, they have a cow that has two calves, one white, one red, and not uh, something that would be like their primary source of income. So the husband says, you know what I think we'll do? I think we'll raise the calves until uh, we could sell them for a decent sum of money, and then we'll use the money from one calf to go on vacation, and we'll use the money from the other calf uh, to give to the Lord. And the wife says, that's a fantastic idea. We haven't been on a vacation for a long time. It's also great that we'd be able to uh, give some money and donate uh, and dedicate that to the Lord. How do you know which calf will be for what? And the husband said, don't worry about it. We'll we'll figure that out later. Um, We'll just, for now, raise the calves as best we can and hope to be able to get as much money out of both of them as possible. And so uh, things kind of left there. And, And after some time, the husband came back in or came inside one evening, and he's got a very troubled look on his face. And his wife says, hey, what's going on? He said, well, the Lord's calf died. <laughs> and she said, wait a second, like any good wife would. Wait a second. I thought we didn't know which calf was the Lord's and which, which one was ours. And he said, no, the Lord's calf was always going to be the white one. And the white one just died. That was the Lord's calf. And she said, wait, well... I, I guess I just don't understand. I, I thought we, you know, we didn't know which one. No, the Lord's calf was always the white one, but it's okay because we're still going to go on vacation. And she says, I don't know that I feel great about that. And he said, well, that's why I handle the finances and we're going to go on vacation. It's silly, but I think there's some truth that we can mine out of that this morning. If you've got your Bible open to Matthew chapter 6, we're gonna, what we're going to talk about this morning actually is two sections in your Bible. There should be one that's got a heading that says something along the lines of laying up treasure in heaven, and then the one underneath that should say something in the neighborhood of do not worry or do not be anxious. Uh, we're going to look at both of those sections this morning. And what we're going to see is that Jesus uh, makes kind of states a principle in the first section about laying up treasure in heaven, and then he gives us a test, a litmus test, if you will, Uh, for whether or not, as followers of Christ, that's what we're doing. And it's about worrying. It's about how does your heart relate to stuff. And so we're going to walk our way through both of those this morning. We're at the tail end of chapter 6. All of chapter 6, if you remember when we we began chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount, is controlled by Matthew 6.1, which says, Do not do your acts of righteousness, your righteous deeds, in order to be seen by others. And then Jesus gives three illustrations of that. Giving to the needy is the first one. Prayer is the second one. And fasting is the third. Jesus says, if you give to the needy so as to be seen and complimented and patted on the back, then you've received all the reward you're ever going to receive for that. Then he goes on, he says, if you pray in such a way as to just be heard or to be seen by other people, then you've received all you're ever going to receive for that. And then last week, T.A. talked about fasting. And if you contort your face and you walk around in agony to make sure that everybody knows that you're fasting right now so to, as to attract attention to yourself, that's all you're ever going to receive for that. But in each of those, Jesus gives us kind of the antidote to that. He said, in your giving, instead of 
seeking the opinion or the favor of others, he says, depend on the opinion of the Lord. In your prayer, instead of hoping to be heard or just heaping up a lot of words in order to attract attention to yourself, he said, no, depend on your relationship with the Lord. And in your fasting, instead of getting sympathy from other people because you're fasting or getting the attention of other people, depend on a heart that hungers for the Lord. All of those are about our religious activity, how we conduct our spiritual lives. Today's two passages are all about your daily living. Jesus makes this transition from your spiritual life to your practical, everyday, day-to-day living. And he's going to make the same point that he's been making all throughout chapter 6, which is that you should be dependent upon the Lord in the way that you live your daily life. In fact, this is what we're going to see this morning, that in your daily living, you should depend on a heart for his kingdom and his righteousness. We're going to walk our way through both of these two passages, uh, and, and that's what we're going to see this morning. So if you want to jot that down, that's the main point. If you don't get anything else out of this morning, uh, that's the heart of what Jesus has to say here. I'm going to start in verse 19, and we're going to read first Matthew 6, 19 to 24. It says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus lays down a principle for us. And it's all about values. About as a follower of Jesus... Where do we place our value? Where do we, how do we align our values as those who call themselves Christians? Remember, every time we come to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking to his followers. These are words directed at, to, and for Christians, for believers in Jesus and his work on the cross. And he says that our values ought to be different than the values of those around us. You see, Jesus recognizes something. And so there's, here's this little flow chart I want us to think about. That at your core, your heart sets your values, which in turn determine your priorities. Your priorities inform your decisions. Your decision sets the direction of your life. And ultimately, the direction of your life is going to land you at a particular destination. That's true, and it's easy enough to follow, and we all get that. But Jesus understands that that's also kind of a cycle. And that where your treasure is, your heart will also be. So that you could get to the end of your life and look at your destination and say, this is where my heart was all along. And he says, if you lay up treasure on earth, that's all it's ever going to be. If you lay up treasure in heaven, there your heart will be. And so even though that's linear and easy to follow, at the same time, it's a little bit cyclical. And you can actually look at your destination, if you will, and understand exactly where your heart was at the beginning. There's one way, there's numerous ways, but one of the ways that you can a little bit distinguish who's a follower of Jesus and who isn't ought to be the way that we interact with what Jesus calls treasure. It's what this passage is all about. Treasure is certainly talking about money and material stuff, possessions, the accumulation of junk, if you will. But a treasure can be more than that as well. It's not limited to just money and possessions. In fact, when something in your life becomes everything in your life, you've established what your treasure is. 
when you allow a thing to become everything, you've gone ahead and stated what your treasure is. Jesus says that those treasures can be here on earth where they're ultimately going to be destroyed by moth and rust where thieves break in and steal, or they can be in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. That could be a relationship. It could be a job, a promotion, the accumulation of stuff, a larger bank account. It could be an ambition or an interest, a home or a reputation. It could be your children, your grandchildren, your spouse, a friendship. It could be a hobby. It could be a collection. You could take anything here on earth and turn it into your everything, and all of a sudden, that's the most significant thing in your life. Jesus says, if your treasure is anything that is here on earth, it inevitably will fail you because it cannot last. Proverbs 11.4 says, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And as we've been looking through chapter 6, and we've been talking about religious activity, we've said that if you do your religious activity in order to be seen, then that's the reward you're going to get for it. The pat on the back, or the, hey, good job, or, wow, you're really a nice person. That's it. There's nothing else beyond that. The same is true with earthly treasure. It cannot pay out beyond this life. If you place all of your significance, and if you place ultimate value on something earthly, it will end there. You can't take it with you. It can't go beyond here. That's all there is to it. And Jesus says, if you're a follower of mine, then you ought to have a heart that longs to live for something else, for eternal treasure, he says. Well, practically, what the heck does it mean to live for eternal treasure? I'm going to give you two things. I think it means to live for the glory of God in and through your life, but also for the spread of the gospel into the hearts and lives of the people around you that don't know him. Here's a quick case study from Scripture. I think it's the the clearest one in all of the Bible, and it comes from the person of Job. In terms of earthly treasure, he had all of it. He's incredibly wealthy. Uh, The book of Job talks about these large flocks that he's got. He's got a great family, lots of sons and daughters. He's one of the richest people of his time. He's got a wife and good health and all of these things, and he loses it all in a matter of moments. In quick succession, everything is taken from him to the point where he's got boils on his skin and he's ripped his clothes. He's sitting in sackcloth in a pile of ashes and he's using a piece of pottery to scrape the sores off of his body. When his wife comes to him and says, it cannot get any worse than this, curse God and die. And in that moment, Job responds and his response shows you exactly where his treasure Lies. In Job 1.21, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's treasure in the right place. In his moment of greatest pain that he's probably ever going to experience in the entirety of his life, he understands that his treasure was not bound up in things on this earth, but instead it was in heaven. He says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. I want to give you a real quick uh, sermon inside of a sermon, if you will. I'm going to chase a rabbit trail real quick. Because here's the thing. I think it would be easy on a topic like this to think that money is the primary issue. But that's not the case. As with everything that we've looked at within the Sermon on the Mount thus far, this is a heart issue. Jesus is revealing the heart of one of his followers. The issue isn't about whether you have money or don't have money. The issue isn't whether you have a little bit of money or you have a lot of money. For Jesus, this issue of treasure on heaven or treasure on earth is one of a heart condition. The call here from Christ isn't to 
put your faith in him and then like move into a state of elective poverty. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that as a follower of Jesus, you're only genuine in your faith if you give away everything you have and you don't have any possessions. That's just not the case. What he's concerned about, as he has been all throughout chapter 6 and all throughout chapter 5, is an issue of heart. It's an issue of motivation. The question we've got to ask ourselves as followers of Jesus is whether or not we could handle the loss of everything we have and sit there and genuinely and honestly say, blessed be the name of the Lord. That my significance, my life was not bound up in stuff here on this earth, but instead I've been seeking to lay up treasure in heaven. As I've been putting this together over the last couple of weeks, I've really been challenged uh, in my own life because I think affluence is more than just the bottom line in your bank account or the size of your house. Even in North Kansas City, Missouri here, we have people with varying degrees of wealth and affluence. What we definitely have, though, all throughout America is an affluence of time. I mean, if you've ever been to a third world country or you've ever been around people here in America who literally work day to day in order to survive, you'll understand that they don't have this notion of I work from this time to this time and then I'm done and you don't mess with my free time. Have you ever interacted with farmers? When I was growing up, my grandparents lived in a really small town in southern Missouri and everybody down there uh, was involved in the farming industry in some form or fashion. And the, the strangest thing would happen. We'd go down there over the summer, and they work sun up to sundown. There's no stopping for them. They wake up when the sun goes up, and they go to bed long after it has gone down. And they work all day long. And yet, when they would get little chunks of free time, they would do the strangest thing in my eyes. Pretend there's a farmer named Bob. Bob works all the time. He gets three hours worth of free time. And in that moment, he remembers that his neighbor, Frank, needs a new fence built. And so when Bob, after weeks of working, basically around the clock, remembers that Frank needs his fence built and he gets three hours of free time, he would walk over to Frank's house and say, hey, can we work on the fence? That's almost beyond my realm of comprehension. I'm affluent in my time. And so I work from this time to this time where I've got a schedule that kind of ebbs and flows a little bit, but I set aside these chunks of time where I say no one is infringing upon this, and it is like treasure to me, literally. I want to sit in my house all alone, no sounds, and stare at the wall and just enjoy not having something to do. You can make treasure out of that. You can refuse to use that for the good of the Lord. It can become everything to you. Sports, your child's athletic activities, can become everything to you. The view that people outside of your family have of your family can become everything to you. A warm and inviting home can become everything to you. And what if someone comes over and the house is dirty? They're going to look at your house and say, hey, yours too. And they're going to move on with life. That's what's going to happen. Something like that can become everything to you. And Jesus says, at that point, you've laid up treasure in heaven. It's not our treasure on earth. It's not just about money. What does the bottom line of your bank account say? It's about a heart condition that seeks ultimate value out of something earthly. Instead, Jesus says, a follower of his 
is to have a heart that longs to use their time and their money and their family and their home and their stuff and their reputation and their influence in order to glorify the Lord and seek to spread the gospel. In your daily living, he says, you ought to depend on a heart that longs for his kingdom and his righteousness. And then he gives us this litmus test, if you will, and it's all about worry and anxiety. You'll see that the first verse there on that next section Matthew 6, 25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about anything. The therefore relates to what he just said about treasure on earth and in in heaven. And if you've got treasure in heaven, he says, there's no need to worry. If you've got treasure on earth, it's probably going to manifest itself in some anxiety because you're always going to want more of the treasure. One of the things that the church, not just our church today, but the church over time has struggled with is the desire to serve both of these things. Yet we're going to pursue the glory of the Lord and the spread of the gospel, but at the same time, we're also going to make sure to chase after some earthly treasure. And then the Lord's calf dies, and all of a sudden our true heart reveals itself. And what we were seeking all along was the vacation, not necessarily the glory of the Lord or the spread of the gospel. Jesus says, here's how you can tell if your life is in this state. You can tell by your anxiety, by your worry. Four times in 10 verses here, Jesus says, do not worry. Do not be anxious. And what we discover is that living for earthly treasure creates anxiety. It creates worry. There are three of these little examples that he gives. One in verses 25 and 26, that's about food and birds. One in verse 27 that's about health and life. And then one in verses 28 to 30 that's about flowers and clothing and stuff. Here's what he says. Verses 25 and 26. The birds don't sow or reap. They don't have money to go and purchase food. And yet the Lord feeds them. And aren't you more valuable than a bird in the Lord's eyes? And then in verses 28 to 30 he says, look at the flowers of the field. They don't sew or spin. They don't buy cloth and make clothing. And yet look at how beautiful they are. They're more beautiful than Solomon in all of his splendor. And aren't you more valuable to the Lord than flowers? He says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Who of you by just stewing over your health or whatever might be going on in your circumstances can increase the length of your life by any amount of time? He says, no one can. If you're consumed with laying up treasure on earth, you're going to have anxiety over those types of things. It's all about appetites. Yesterday afternoon, my wife and I went to Margarita's restaurant and ate some Mexican food with her family. I don't know about you, but I have zero self-control when chips and salsa are set in front of me. And so I just plow through it until they cut me off or the meal's over. And I always walk out of every Mexican restaurant way over full, I almost feel sick to my stomach. I kind of am lethargic for a little while. But you give me 45 minutes, and I'm looking around thinking, I'm hungry. That's how appetites work. They always crave more. And if you're laying up treasure on earth, you will always crave more. And it creates anxiety within you. As I've been putting this message together over the last couple of weeks, I keep coming back to the image of a dung beetle. Have you ever seen a dung beetle? That's what a dung beetle looks like. A dung beetle, not surprisingly, is always not very far from dung. And what the dung beetle does is he rolls around that ball of poop, and 
is always trying to increase its size to gather more to it in fear of not having a meal soon. And sometimes, in fact, they will go so far as to bury their dung ball underground so that no one else will come and take it from them. Do you know what happens to the dung ball when the beetle dies? It just sits there. Whatever size it was the moment before the dung beetle took its last little dung beetle breath. <laughs> and that, that is the reality of individuals who chase after treasure on earth their entire life. You run around for all of your days so concerned about what would happen if you didn't have enough of your earthly treasure that you might even go so far as to bury it underground, but eventually what's going to happen is that your life is going to come to an end. That's what happens to all of us. And whatever your earthly treasure was is just going to sit there in a pile. You can't take it with you. You can't do anything else with it at that point. And however large you accumulated in that amount of time, the span of your life is just going to sit there at that point. Jesus says, you don't have to worry about those things if you've put your faith in me. You are the king's child, and he loves you, and he cares for you. And instead of consuming yourself with acquiring more, of getting a bigger ball of dung, quite literally, you ought to instead seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So he comes out of these three kind of negative examples, and he gives a positive. Seek first doesn't mean that you wake up in the morning and it's like one on a list of things that you do and then you check it off. Like I had my quiet time, so I sought first and now I'm moving on. It's this present imperative kind of verb, which literally means to continually seek his kingdom and his righteousness, that it ought to flow through everything that you do. Seeking first the Lord's kingdom means that you live in such a way as to make the glory of God and the spread of his gospel primary in your life. And seeking first his righteousness means that you try to live in such a way that the life and activity of Jesus would be visible and attractive to the people around you. It's living in that kind of way that helps us make sure we have our values straight. And when our values are straight, our priorities are straight. When our priorities are straight, our decisions are straight, etc. on down the line. It starts with a heart condition. If you've got a heart that has placed its faith in Jesus Christ for its salvation, then your values have been reordered. You no longer live for treasure on earth. You live for treasure in heaven. To live for the glory of God and the spread of his gospel. You live now to make known the beauty of Jesus Christ and who he is and how he lives. That's his life and his activity. And you just humbly seek to make that known in the world around you. I want to end with a story this morning. Um, as, as most of you know, I coach cross-country here in Liberty. And all last summer, as we would meet uh, for long runs on Saturday mornings, we would come across the same group of people almost every weekend. We typically would start our summer long runs from Target on the other side of 35 so that we can run in a different area of town. And we would head north on Flintlock there to the intersection of Flintlock and 96th Street. And either going away from Pleasant Valley Baptist Church or toward Pleasant Valley Baptist Church would be these huge groups of people. And I knew from some conversations with individuals on staff there at Pleasant Valley that they had partnered with World Vision and that they were running in the Kansas City Half Marathon or Marathon the following October, 
and in an effort to raise money for clean water for kids in Africa who don't have access to any. And I had this conversation repeatedly almost every Saturday morning with various uh, of the kids on our cross-country team where they would say, what are these people doing? And I would say, well, they go to Pleasant Valley Baptist Church and they're giving their time and money in order to raise uh, funds for clean water for kids in Africa. Well, why would they do that? Well, they've put their faith in Jesus and that has reordered their lives so that when they know of a need that exists in the world, they want to take care of it. And then that following October, I got to run in the Kansas City Half Marathon. I had signed up just on my own to go and run there. And I'm standing in the starting corral, and there are a few hundred of these orange jerseys from Team World Vision. And they're getting ready to run. And all throughout this corral, starting corral, there are people asking these folks from Pleasant Valley Baptist Church, what is the orange shirt all about? Why are there so many of you? And they've got the opportunity now to explain not just the cause of clean water in Africa, but also the gospel and what would motivate them to do that. That's laying up treasure in heaven. That you would give of your time, that you would give of your effort, that you would give of your finances in order to see the glory of God and the spread of the gospel be a reality, that you would give of your time or your effort or your money in order to make the life of activity or the life and activity of Jesus visible and attractive to people who don't know him. This morning, you're going to have an opportunity to respond to this message in a very real, tangible sort of way. And in order to introduce that, I want to introduce Greg, who is from Chicago. He is from World Vision, and he's going to talk to you a little bit about clean water in Africa. Thanks, Tim. I'm Greg 